Good idea, Steve. Wow. Thanks. New year, new ideas. Wow. Yeah, what that? the hell? <laughs> oh, it gets better. Uh-oh. It gets better. What, what, what? I'm ready to improve our podcast 100%. Are you? Yes, I am. And how do you plan to do that? Which well, one of us is leaving? <laughs> it's my basement, so... <laughs> I, guess, I, guess, I guess I'm fired. As you know, as you know, there has been something lacking from our podcasts for some time. Really? Yes, indeed. Money? I don't, no. I don't know about that. No. Wait, I'm, no. I'm, I'm drawing a blank. I don't know yeah. about you, though. Uh, uh, liquor? No. Hmm. No, we've had some of that. Women? No. AT Banter Podcast, now with 100% more cowbell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like yeah. it. Nice. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, come on. 2018. <laughs> <laughs> Bring her home, Betsy. <laughs> That's Is that an actual cowbell? This is an actual cowbell. From an actual cow? No, this is actually a drum set cowbell. You see, it's got the mounting clamp Linda and everything. You put it on to a... What? You've been holding out all this time. You've had a cowbell? Yeah, Linda's got one upstairs somewhere. What? Are you kidding me? I'm kidding. Why no. would you oh. tell us that? Oh, I know, really. Yeah, no, I... Oh, she probably doesn't know where it is. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she'd know. In other words, she'd probably hidden it from you. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's Maybe. awesome. Okay, yeah. so Ryan, your job is going to be to find somewhere to hang that, yeah, and then yeah, we, we need gotta, to mount that somewhere. Yeah, we got to mount that on the table somewhere. All right. Yeah, so that at any point we can just pick up the stick and... <laughs> I think I think that there should be some sort of a keyword that anytime a guest says the word like whatever, then we just run over to the cowbell and wail on it. Look at the waveform that puts out too. That's uh, that's quite an impressive looking waveform. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Eighty banter now with more cowbell. Mississippi Queen. This is the AT Banter Podcast, a balanced and entertaining look at assistive technology, accessibility, and its importance in people's lives. Join Rob Minot, Ryan Fleury, and Steve Barclay as they banter with people around the world about anything and everything regarding assistive technology and the disability community. Now, on with the show. Hey, and welcome to yet another episode of AT Banter. Banter, banter. <laughs> what are you doing? You're, you're, you're jumping the gun. Oh, sorry. You got to wait. You got to make him wait. There's all the talk of Pornhub. It's premature. Banter, banter. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> well, off to a, 2018's off to a great start so far. Uh, I am Robin O, and joining me as always is Mr. Ryan Flurry. Hey there. And Mr. Steve Barkley. That would be me. And who's our special guest, Steve? Our special guest today is Luis Perez. No, that is the incorrect answer. Our special guest is more cowbell. More cowbell. DT Badger now with 100% more cowbell. I know, it's exciting, <laughs> right? <laughs> Um, don't don't everyone talk at once, and we're not even going to explain it. We're just you just sit with that audience, gentle audience. We now have a cowbell. That's right. We I'm not even going to tell you why we have a. cowbell. Our numbers are going to skyrocket now when people find out that we've got a cowbell. 
AT cowbell. Other other podcasts will have to scramble to catch up. <laughs> that is true. I have not heard a cowbell in any sort Nor of other nope. podcast that I've ever come across. So, uh, yeah. We are cowbell pioneers. <laughs> we are. So it is 2018. Uh, Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year, gentlemen. This is our first recording in 2018. Anything you've heard to this point, it was canned. And yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> well, wait, don't tell them that. What are you doing? Shh, shh, sorry, you, sorry. Indulging all our secrets. We were working feverishly over the holidays. We didn't take Christmas off at all. Not did we? a nope. bit. No, not a nope. day. No, no, nope. 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 Slaving away for our listenership. Yep. And you know what a new year means? What's that? World Junior Hockey. Which is almost over. It's almost over. Yeah, almost we over. had the quarterfinals today. And we won. Yeah, Canada won. Eight to two. Yeah. Oh, was that the final? Last I checked, there yeah. was like under a minute to go. So I'm assuming it ended 8-2. Could be 9-2 to two by it now. It could be. Yeah. <laughs> but it's over now. So we played the checks on Thursday. Yeehaw. Mm-hmm. Um, checks have a good team this year. They do. They beat Finland today in the shootout. That's right. That was the early game. Mm-hmm. And Rob's glazed over. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Like, and this is a hockey talk on AT Vector. <laughs> I'll just play the cowbell. Uh, <clears throat> no, that's it. That's the big excitement. Do you have, have the holidays? You guys hockey? Really? hockey well, how was how your holiday? Pretty darn fine. Yeah? Yeah. Except for, I don't know, this, this year, well, I guess it happens every year, but this year it seems like more people were sick. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. Everybody was falling around me. Well, and you survived. I did. I did. Excellent. Actually, yeah, that's that's unusual briefly. for you. That is unusual. Usually, yeah, usually this time of year, I, I get nailed. But uh, yeah, it, and uh, nailed good. Yeah, no, not this year. But hmm. uh, knock on wood. Better yet, knock on cowbell. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is great, Ryan. So your jobs, like seriously, for next week, you need to mount that somewhere where that's easily accessible. I'm not for mounting us. a cowbell. You're mounting a cowbell. <laughs> Can you do a rim shot on a cowbell? <laughs> not really. Apparently not. Uh, Makes hey. No difference whatsoever. Uh, hey. Well, d- uh, there's different tones of cowbells, though, so we could get like three more. Ooh, cowbell row. Mm-hmm. Okay. I like it. Well, we blew all our time that we would have spent talking <laughs> about uh, any sort of news articles that we saw over the past three weeks with talk about cowbell. And now it's time for our interview. So, All right. Um, uh, hey, Ryan. Rob. Uh, what are we doing today? Today we are talking with educator and author and also advocate of universal design, Luis Perez. Woohoo! Hello. Hi, Luis. How are you? Good. Good. Thanks for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. Well, just so you know, I've got a couple co-hosts with me in the room. I've got Steve Barkley. Hello. Who's on Cowbell Hi, today. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm in charge of Cowbell. Yep. <laughs> you need more cowbell huh? absolutely we, we decided that and uh we have come through and we've also got rob Mano. hello there hi how are you we are fantastic uh yeah thanks so much for uh for chatting with us today we're we're eager to get going it's our first episode of the new year obviously great great let's dive right in and let's go straight to talking about universal design um for for any of our listeners who may not be um, familiar with the term itself, give maybe just give us a, a quick overview of what universal design is and why it's important. 
Uh, well, for me, um, I, I like to summarize universal design in a really simple phrase, um, which actually I think begin, began with a group in Canada um, that was working in the schools. And I can't recall the name of the group right now, but it's uh, what is essential for some is almost always useful for all. And uh, when you think about universal design, um, I really see that in action. Um, probably the, the one really good example of that is uh, closed captioning where um, closed captioning was de developed in the uh, 1970s, you know, to really benefit people who uh, couldn't hear the content in a video program. Uh, but it turns out that now, you know, uh, people use it, uh, turn on the captions in gyms uh, when you're working out and, and the gym is really loud and, you know, you still want to keep up with the news while you're on your uh, treadmill or Stairmaster or whatever it may be. Um, you can follow along with those captions or uh, in a busy airport uh, where they often have the news on to keep travelers abreast of the weather and so on. Uh, well, there again, the captions can uh, be helpful or even if it's um, just your significant other likes to go to bed at a different time and you want to watch uh, the latest scores or highlights um, late in the evening. Uh, well, again, you can turn on the captions and follow along. So um, again, um, that's that idea that you create these uh, solutions that are intended to benefit people with disabilities, but in reality, they benefit us um, all, um, even if we don't have an identified disability. And uh, we see that in the uh, physical environment as well with curb cuts. Um, you know, it's right. not just people who use wheelchairs that benefit from that, but it could be delivery people, it could be um, a repairman who's pushing or repair woman who's pushing a cart with uh, heavy equipment on it will definitely appreciate uh, that curb cut. So um, it's a flexible solution. Is it? It's basically designing with flexibility in mind so that it benefits a wide range of users. Well, and I was listening to an interview that you did uh, on your website, and I guess there's a graphic on your site that talks about you know how there had recently been a snowfall and the guy at the top of the stairs with the shovel. There's a guy at the right. bottom of the stairs in a wheelchair, and the guy with the shovel says, "You're gonna have to wait till I clear the stairs." You know, <laughs> right. yet there's a wheelchair ramp, you know, right beside it. Right, and if you clear that ramp, then not Everyone only can, can that person it. in the wheelchair um, go up, but everybody else can as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I get the sense too that architecturally, this it seems to be a concept that's been in place for a while. Um, but in terms of technology, is is has been a lot slower to sort of adapt that that I, the idea of universal design. Would you say that's accurate? Um, I would say so. Um, I think it's a little bit more tangible when it's out in the physical world. But um, especially as things move online, um, we we really need to look at it as you know the online environment. Um, it has the same, like we need to build ramps in the online environment as well, because uh, we're relying on it for so much. Um, you know, uh, there are people who cannot go to a supermarket to go shopping. And so they are able to log on and uh, access a service. In fact, I just used one for the first time the other day where you can order your groceries and have them delivered to your house. Right. But if that website is not accessible, then that service is uh, locked out for you. You're not able to access it. Right. Um, education. You know, I completed much of my education online just because of um, 
as a person with low vision, we'll probably get into that in a little bit, <laughs> but as a person with low vision, you know, navigation in the environment can be a challenge for me sometimes uh, during certain times of the day. And so um, just being able to take online classes was a, a big help. Uh, well, again, um, it doesn't always have to be a brick and mortar school, right? It could be an online school that can provide that education. But if it's not accessible, then again, people are locked out of that educational opportunity. Right. Uh, whether it's it's looking for a job, you know, it's not you're not always going to a job center. A lot of times you're logging in somewhere and looking through job listings and submitting the application online. Um, so this has real consequences when you ignore um, accessibility and universal design in the online environment, because that's where a lot of our lives are taking place now, uh, from education to employment to uh, entertainment. Um, the services, you know, government services and the like. Sure. And I mean, yeah, and I would I would add to that, you know, social social media, um, social networks are, are incredibly important um, for for virtual gathering, you know, spaces for people. And, Absolutely. you know, again, if if they're inaccessible or the devices and, um, you know, computers that are used to uh, access those virtual spaces are, are inaccessible, then uh, that that is just completely locked out for an entire segment of society. Well, and, and social media, like all of the things that I mentioned, social media can play a role in all of them. Um, I know educators that use social media to create you know online communities where people uh, collaborate and share information. I know the government and government agencies use social media to disseminate information about services and resources that they have. Um, and it's also, as you said, it's a great place of support. Um, I personally have a condition that's fairly rare. And so uh, the chances of me meeting somebody else with the same condition that I have is really remote in the uh, uh, physical world, let's say. But right. uh, online, I've been able to meet many other people, um, and we rely on each other for uh, support and tips and resources. Um, I belong to a number of communities on Facebook, uh, which um, have served me well in terms of um, just sharing resources that I can make use of as a person with a disability. Um, and that's um, where a lot of the conversations taking place these days, you know, whether it's breaking news. Um, I often go to Twitter first before I turn on the news right. <laughs> because it's almost real time and I can get the latest information, but um, it's improving slowly, but it is improving, uh, you know, with sites like Twitter uh, making it possible for people to put in uh, uh, descriptions for the images and so on. But um, it's an area where we need uh, to do some more work. Yeah, absolutely. And that was that kind of leads into my next question, which is, you know, say over the past five, 10 years, have you found that the, the conversation around universal design has become uh, more active? Are, are more people talking about it? I, I think so. I think there's more awareness of what it is. And uh, a big part of that, um, I need to give some credit to uh, some of the major companies sure. uh, like Apple, yep. Google, Microsoft. Uh, because um, when they started incorporating accessibility features, um, you know, into their products as like a built-in option, um, it really created a lot more awareness. And um, I now see people using uh, inverted, you know, inverted colors on their devices as not just an accessibility feature, but just a way that they customize 
uh, the display for whatever their needs are. Uh, it's not always that they have low vision. Sometimes it's just that they uh, want to use the device uh, outside <laughs> right. in a high glare situation. Um, I know people that are using uh, some of the uh, assistive touch features, for instance, um, to take screenshots, whatever it may be that these features, uh, people have found other uses for them. Um, and so I think they've created a lot of awareness um, and that helps um, kind of lower the barrier to, of entry to some of these features. And they've also become easier to use as well. Um, I think where we need to work, uh, do a little bit of work and uh, it's in the accessibility of the content that's um, accessed through these devices. Uh, whether it's a website or a PDF or uh, EPUB, which are used a lot in educational settings. Um, it, it all needs to work together, right? It's like two sides of the same coin. Um, there's the uh, content and then there's the delivery tools um, and both need to work together. How critical was the um, Americans with Disabilities Act to push forward some of the uh, accessibility initiatives? Oh, it was, it was huge. Um, you know, I often, when I do presentations, um, I, I tell people that I consider myself uh, lucky because um, I've grown up, I've never not known the ADA to be in place <laughs> in terms of my life as a person with a disability because um, I was diagnosed with my disability much later in life. Um, so it's something, I have a condition called retinitis pigmentosa. Okay. Uh, which some people know as, um, you know, they call it tunnel vision, islands of vision. But basically I have a restricted field of vision and uh, difficulty with low light vision as well and, and some other uh, adjusting to light changes and the like. Um, but I, I didn't know about it until I was, um, you know, in my 30s was when I was diagnosed with it. So um, basically I discovered accessibility um, and the need for it much later in life than than a lot of other people with disabilities. And so um, I've known the, uh, you know, since the day I was diagnosed, uh, I've known the ADA <laughs> to be in place. And so I, I consider myself very lucky for that because um, it's um, definitely created a lot of opportunity for me in terms of being able to pursue my education and uh, uh, employment opportunities and the like. But having said that, <laughs> um, I also feel like there's been a backlash against the um, Americans with Disabilities Act. Hmm. Um, and a lot of it has to do with uh, businesses uh, seeing it as a regulation, right. uh, rather than understanding that it, it is about uh, civil rights and human rights. Um, so we get that within the uh, disability rights community, but um, I think um, you know the environment right now is very much um, anti-regulatory, at least here in the United States. Oh yeah, definitely. And, and so there is the danger of things like the ADA, where we make a lot of progress. We, we take a few steps forward, but we need to be on guard <laughs> that we don't take too many steps back. Yeah, I, that seems to be a common sort of uh, point of friction. You know, on, on the one hand, you know, regulation is important. And in, in some ways, it can be one of the ways to, to bring companies into line um you know we've had we've had many guests on the on the show talk about how litigation is generally one of the only ways to really 
um, bring about real change. Um, it's right, the one thing right. that that you know, that companies respond to, unfortunately. Um, but at the same time, it you know it's frustrating because the the flip side of that is that if if companies would just start to realize that it's in their own best interest to make as much of their content accessible, because that's a whole other demographic that that could be using their product. Right. Absolutely. And. Um you know, it's important to make a, uh, a business case um, for accessibility. And like you said, not only are you increasing your market, your potential market, uh, but um, also you gain a lot of goodwill. So, um, and, and, and many other benefits, you know, from everything from making your content easier to maintain uh, to getting uh, better SEO, a search engine optimization. There's um, so many um, sort of um, other benefits to uh, pursuing accessible content and accessibility in general. Um, so I think it, it needs to be um, a balanced approach, uh, a carrot and a stick. <laughs> um, I prefer to go with a carrot first and make a, a good case for why you should pursue accessibility um, from a positive um, approach. So let's focus on the benefits first. But as you said, sometimes there is no um, other recourse. Um, and then you have to resort to the stick, which unfortunately is uh, a lawsuit or a complaint. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, you, you know, you really only need to look no farther than Apple um, to see, you know, they did it right. And I mean, again, you know, I have to agree with you 100%. You really have to give them credit for starting the ball rolling because um, they're, they're baked in uh, accessibility features into, you know, even the, the, I guess it was maybe the second generation iPhone by the right. time yeah, that it really started GS. to kick in. And everybody else followed suit. I mean, everybody's sort of been playing catch up to Apple for years and years. And they really, really showed um, the benefits of, of universal design um, into these into the, these new generation of products that, you know, we all, you know, take for granted at this point, the computers in our pockets, right? Right. So, it you know it is a shame that that more companies, and in, in, in specifically, like you said, the content creators, um, sort of are, are a little bit slower to catch on to that. Yeah, and and I think we, um, you know, we'll we'll have to do some work um, in that area. Um, I think one way we can do it is um, when we. <laughs> This is interesting because we're doing a podcast, but when we create content ourselves, um, we need to model uh, accessibility. And so um, I try to do that in my own content that I put out, um, whether it's uh, videos that I put up on YouTube, you know, making sure that they're captioned, um, whether I create a PDF, making sure that it's tagged and, and right. so on. But uh, the more we can model it, uh, hopefully over time, it will you know, be a movement that it may take a little bit of time, but there will be at some point a tipping point, just like we saw it for devices, right? When one big player came out and modeled it for the industry, then it created a, um, you know, competition. Um, and so maybe we can do that for content as well. And and that's true. And it does really trickle down. I mean, Microsoft has, has um, done some really major gains in terms of building a lot of really good accessibility tools into, say, their office suite. Absolutely. 
Um, yeah, I love their learning tools. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and you know, we we I you know sometimes we we don't give them enough credit for that. Um, but Microsoft has really been stepping up their game in the past few years as well. Sure, sure, absolutely. I definitely agree with that. So who do you who do you see as the rock stars these days of, of universal design? Who's really wowing you these days? Oh, um, you know, I, I hate to sort of say one person um, because um, I would like to see it be more of a movement, like a more widespread movement. And so, um, you know, on Twitter, I try to follow a number of people. Um, but for instance, uh, my friend Yuting Su, who is uh, out in California, she's at uh, San Francisco State, and uh, she's done a number of different projects over the years that are really exemplary. Um, so she's one of the people that I look uh, to for sort of, uh, uh, I would say, a model of good accessibility practices. And it helps that she's a teacher of the visually impaired. So um, she does a great job of modeling description, uh, image description, and all of these different uh, things that we need for accessibility. Uh, so. Um, but you know there um, there are a lot a number of different people. Uh, I try to draw from different groups. Um, so even though my background's in education, I try to be a little bit broader. Uh, WebAx. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. Yep. Uh, but um, I, I also follow that quite a bit. Um, always lots of great information uh, coming out through that channel on Twitter. Um, so um, you know it's it's hard to pinpoint just like a few people. I think. Um, that's the beauty of social media is that it's brought us all uh, together to where we're uh, together. We can do a lot more than just like an individual person can. Um, and also the other thing that I would warn to, again, um, I've seen this happen at a lot of universities where there is the rock star and that person brings about a lot of um, good changes. And unfortunately at some point that person decides to move on. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then the passion and the uh, knowledge base kind of leaves with them. So I think it's important to just kind of build a broad base uh, for accessibility, for it to be sustainable. Yeah, it's very true. Often, oftentimes in large organizations, you do have that champion who's, who's standing out there trying to beat everybody else into, uh, into alignment and to, to advocate for accessibility. And once they're, once they're gone, it just kind of collapses around them. Right. So I'm going to throw this out there. It's a really broad question, but why do you think we still face the hurdles that we're facing when it comes to universal design? Why is it taking so long when it seems there's so many groups and, and organizations fighting for it? I, well, that's the, the million. <laughs> you just gave me the million dollar question. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, that's outside of our budget. Can we go back to a buck fifty yeah, question? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, no, but I, I, I think part of it is to um, the rapid pace of technology hmm. is it's a big part of it. Um, you know, it seems like when you, you feel like you've kind of figured it out, <laughs> then a new tool comes out and there's new capabilities, um, new things you can do with it. Um, and so that that's kind of one of the challenges is, um, you know, uh, just when we were kind of making some progress in terms of website accessibility, then social media came out. Right. Right. And so that was a new environment with um, 
more of a, a real uh, time communication capabilities. And it seems like we're starting to make progress. And again, I want to sort of um, you know, give a shout out to Twitter for their image description capabilities. And uh, Facebook is doing some work there as well with automatic uh, image descriptions. Um, and as we make progress on that, then, you know, augmented reality. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I was going to say. And, and uh, the, the problem is that when these things come out, we kind of tend to be um, enthralled by the capabilities of it. Uh, you know, how cool it is and the bells and whistles that come with it. And then it just takes a while to um, kind of consider the implications of who's being left out. Right. Uh, if we don't um, early on in the development of these technologies, don't consider that. But um, so I'm, I'm very concerned uh, with uh, augmented reality because um, and, and virtual reality. Um, I've tried virtual reality and it, it does not work for me because <laughs> mm -hmm. I don't I don't have the peripheral vision or the tracking to be able to take advantage of it. But, um, you know, I could see uh, in the future where that becomes a um, sort of a dominant. Uh, I'm not sure that it will in some ways uh, because of the technical requirements. But um, if it does, um, like, how do we ensure that people like myself um, are able to access content? Uh, that's presented in, in that way. So I, in short, I mean, I don't have the, the definitive answer here, but I think that's part of the problem is that um, rapid pace of technology um, just means that we have to kind of be on guard and continue to um, be reflective about how we develop these things to make sure everybody can participate. Yeah, and it's tricky too. I mean, especially in the sense of, of AR, VR, um, I, I would say even to some degree haptics, um, a lot of these things are developed, um, for the sort of the bang whiz wow factor, um, right. without any real, um, thought about some of the other implications of it. I mean, I always go to Google glass for, uh, for the example that I use, but I, I like, I, I really think that the, the Google glass has some real strong uh, AT potential as a platform. Um, th there's potentially a lot that that developers uh, could do to use that platform, and 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 are actively doing. There's the uh, Aria um, right. service um, for the visually impaired uh, that's using it as as a platform. Um, but but sort of so these these this tech these technologies are being developed without a real plan in place um, sometimes. And sometimes it, it just takes an outside developer or, or an entrepreneur or somebody to come in and go, wow, wow, this, we've got this, this great AR technology. Let's use it to service this certain disability. Um, and that's right. kind of the exciting part about these new technologies and sort of the environment is that you know, thank God for for these these smaller these smaller entrepreneurs that are coming in and, and innovating. Yeah, absolutely. I love uh, Air. I, I had a chance to try it at the uh, CSUN conference, and um, I was really pleased with it uh, with the descriptions that I got as I walked around uh, the convention floor. Uh, but you, I think you're right. I think sometimes um, it's a little bit harder for a big company to kind of. Um, you know, they, they try to focus on the uh, sort of the marketing part of it and what's going to be cool and what's going to appeal to the broadest population. Right. 
and and then a smaller developer like the the people behind era kind of see this um, more specific application of it um, and uh, you know I've, I've seen other applications too like um, um, different bands that you can wear that use haptics to detect obstacles and right. so on um, where um, you know it, it has a lot of potential there um, for uh, improving access uh, in the environment so um, I wish somebody would put it all together. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so put together the uh, AR, VR, and then the haptics, and just kind of make it uh, into a system. I, I think it's getting, coming. Yeah, you're getting the information through a variety of modalities. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's important to note that, you know, the same technology that powers, you know, Pokemon Go could <laughs> certainly be used to to power uh, something for the visually impaired that would that would be incredibly useful. It's just a matter of someone needs to come in and, and make it. And I would love to see uh, the use of uh, positional audio as well. Um, I, today I was actually working with a math um, application called Desmos Calculator, and they have some sonification built into their graphs uh, where really? a tone lets you know that you know the slope of the line is going up. Um, so I would love to see more of um, sort of that combination of different uh, modalities, um, haptics, sound, yeah. um, and the visuals as well. Yeah, I think, you're, I think you're absolutely right. I think that in the next five years, uh, someone's going to make a lot of money if they can figure out how to marry all this stuff together. Um, you know, because who knows? I, I, I foresee we're all going to have a, have a heads-up display in our eyes at some point. Right, and with with a pace of life, uh, it's probably something we're all going to need <laughs> to keep up with all the demands of daily life nowadays. That's right. I need to be able to watch Netflix while I'm getting up and brushing my teeth, and <laughs> like built right into my eyes. With with closed captions on, so that uh, the shower doesn't drown it out. <laughs> it's so true. There you go. Let's talk about a little bit about wearables. What's your? Is that kind of where? you see that then sort of the next new exciting technology uh well you know i was i was really into wearables for uh for a little bit <laughs> yeah i've cooled on them a little bit uh lately um and part of the reason was battery okay mm -hmm. i i could not um i don't know i wanted something that would last a little bit longer than the number of wearables that i've tried <laughs> Uh, can do right now. So um, I think that's the area where uh, it needs to improve quite a bit. Um, but also I think um, they're kind of rethinking wearables and um, in the sense that maybe when, say, when the Apple Watch came out, it was kind of overhyped. Right. And Android wear the same thing. Uh, like we, I don't know that we need apps on our wrist. Well, what we need is just like um, maybe notifications and so these very specific tasks. Uh, um, I use my wearables primarily for fitness, you know, counting my steps sure. and, uh, and notifications uh, through haptics. Um, but um, having said that, there was one application that I really liked with the Apple Watch, which was the directions. Okay. Um, yeah. Because I could walk around. Um, my neighborhood and the Apple Watch could help me with the directions using haptics. Um, so that was something that was really, really cool. And uh, but again, um, 
the battery life was an issue. I had the uh, first generation Apple Watch, and um, I'm sure that it's improved dramatically with the second and the third generation. But um, at this point, for me, I don't know if it's um, like if the return on <laughs> on the device would be enough to justify it. Right. And so I'm I'm wearing a very simple watch right now from Garmin, and basically I just use it for uh, fitness. Um, so yeah. I think I think um, they're kind of being redefined right now into more of a fitness um, accessory, which is where we started, by the way. Mm-hmm. With <laughs> yeah, things that's like, right. Fitbits, things and... like the Fitbit mm-hmm. and so on. Yeah. Um, so again, it's thinking about like what uh, makes sense to have on our wrists, like. Um, I remember when I first started looking at wearable apps and I saw like the New York Times has an app and uh, USA Today has an app. <laughs> and I was like, um, I'm not going to read um, articles <laughs> on my wrist, you know? So yeah, um, sometimes you need to consider uh, where that device is going to be used um, and where it's going to sit on your body and um, what um, affordances there are based on, on that. I hate to throw cold water on wearables. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's well, fine. It's, it's, it's interesting to get your perspective on it because you've, you've already gone through the arc. You've, you've, you've started off in fitness, come around to, I'm not going to use it for that. And then come full circle back to the fitness stuff that, that started you down the path. And, um, and, you know, I'm not leaving the door. I'm not closing the door. I'm just saying, uh, I would like to maybe wait a little bit and see if there are improvements in, battery technology and they get um you know they improve a little bit to where i'll check it out again i never close the door on any technology yeah no and I'm, because, i've, I've been the, the example you just mentioned with a google glass right mm-hmm. um, i dismissed the google glass but then a company like era comes around and they've created a service that's really valuable and it's making a difference in people's lives yeah i, I came into the wearables kind of from the opposite direction I, I everything that i looked at with with the exception i think of the, the google glasses which i got pretty excited about you know i i don't i don't have a visual impairment um and uh the idea of having that heads-up display on on the google glasses was pretty exciting to me and if they had added facial recognition so that it would you know remind me of people's names that would be for me like a <laughs> panacea because i am terrible with names um but uh um, the watches, man, I just, I couldn't wrap my head around what I would want one of those watches for, you know, why, why I would want to have on my wrist the same stuff that I could get just by looking at my phone. Well, and I think right. that's what Apple and Google and, and even Microsoft with their attempt at the band, you know, they're still trying to figure out what is this wearable? Like if you want, is it a watch? Is it a fitness tracker? Like where does this fit in? What are we going to do with this device? Because most people are probably using it for fitness. Yes. But you know, but that being said, you know, it's it it does seem to be all about how it's being used. Uh we interviewed a, a young lady from England named Molly Watts who I'm familiar with her work. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, and she loves her Apple Watch yep. and it's all it's all because of that the, the app that she used called Resound that uh she just it, it's incredibly valuable and useful to her on, on a day-to-day basis. So you know, it, it all depends on, uh, on on how you're using it and what apps are being actively developed for that technology, I think. Right. Well, and I always tell people, um, you know, develop the, the broadest or uh, the most diverse toolkit mm-hmm. that you can 
have. Like I even, um, I don't this, you know, stop from considering low tech as well. I mean, um, the biggest technology that changed my life is my white cane. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> there are no, no, there's no electronics in my white cane, but without it, you know, I can't really navigate the world as easily or have as much independence um, as I, uh, you know, had before. And, uh, you know, it's a technology that made a big difference in my life. And just because it doesn't have electronics or big bells and whistles or doesn't do object detection or whatever it may Yet. be, doesn't mean that it's not useful. No, they have uh, they have them. Oh <laughs> uh, yes, <laughs> or Braille, right? I'm, I'm, I'm always a big, you know. I always tell people learn Braille as well. Yes. Right? Yep. Your technology can fail, or there may be situations where Braille is the right tool for the job. So, yeah, with all a, these things, its context comes into play quite a bit as well. That's one topic we always come back to is Braille. I saw somebody tweet this morning or yesterday about there's a bunch of teachers who, you know, are refusing to teach Braille because technology can replace the Braille and Braille is too hard to learn and oh, yada, 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 yada. Drag right? them it's, out behind the barn and, and smack <laughs> them with a fence post. And, and I'm totally blind, Louise, and not a strong Braille reader. I'm about to start Braille again. But, you know, it all comes back to, you know, literacy, right? Without that being able right. to read and write, you're practically illiterate. Screen readers are not. Right. And uh, that's one area where I would like to see um, some disruption is the um, uh, refreshable Braille displays. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I've been I've been following some of the developments. Um, I think it's University of Michigan has a project where they're um, looking into new methods for developing a refreshable Braille display that's not based on uh, uh, mechanical right. elements. Uh, but that's something that hasn't really changed a lot in a long time and mm -hmm. neither have the prices. That's right. <laughs> yeah, so, and, and that's the real problem too, is that, you know, Braille is so incredibly expensive to produce and, and, well, and, and, to, and access to access to. with the displays being right. so expensive. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, hopefully somebody will come along and um, it looks like there are a few projects that are working on that, on disrupting yep. uh, that area. and. You know, if they can produce a Braille display in, in say, the $500 range, which is, I think, what they were aiming for, um, that would be uh, really cool. Yeah, that's going to change the game. If if the first person who manages to do it, yep. that's well, we're gonna, all waiting for it. That's going to change everything. Yep. And um, I, I guess the, the other thing I would say is, you know, we've been talking about um, universal design, but I also work in education. And I'm a big advocate for universal design for learning, right? <laughs> which is, you know, universal design is in the name and it's part of it, right? We need to uh, remove barriers, but um, there's, there's a lot more to that. You know, it, it has to do with uh, motivation um, and being able to recruit a learner's interest and being able to sustain that interest so that they're able to, um, you know, learn. And also providing a, um, you know, a meaningful challenge, right? Because the whole goal is not to um, kind of dumb down education, right? The goal is to um, keep up the challenge, but at the same time, remove these unnecessary barriers. Right. Uh, so an example is if you struggle with print and print is the only thing we provide you in school, then, you know, schooling is going to be a pretty frustrating experience for you and your motivation is going to suffer. 
But if we can provide that same information in a variety of formats and you can find the one that works best for you, then you can really focus on um, the meaning of that content and uh, whatever the goal is of that lesson. Uh, so rather than just uh, struggling with the mechanics of learning, uh, you can focus on the meaning. And I, I'm noticing that a lot more and more. Um, I recently just started a new job working for Steve here. Yay. And just going through past customers and reaching out to post-secondaries and uh, colleges and universities, you know, all of their websites are touting, you know, their accessibility departments, their alternative formats for your different disabilities, whether it's low vision, blindness, cognitive, whatever. You know, they all have a blurb on their website about making accommodations for, for you, um, individualized accommodations. So it's really exciting to see that. Right. But I, I think, um, I guess where I, I see a difference is that the accommodations, um, uh, they kind of solve the problem for one student. Right. And, and then one more student and then one more student. <laughs> but it's it's more of an ad hoc approach. And um, uh, it would be better if we sort of focus on systemic factors. Sure. Yeah, and sort of creating a culture of accessibility and universal design, and so that's one of the goals of universal design for learning is to um, it's not just impacting a single learner learner, but also impacting the institution itself, so that it too is learning. <laughs> well, I think too sometimes you know we we toss around the word accessible and accessibility, and really what does that term mean to you, Louise? It might mean something totally different than it does to me, right? right. So you know, what is the proper term? What is it that, what word is going to make the mainstream look at their products, their platforms and say, okay, we need to broaden this out so that it works for everybody. Is the word accommodation? Because accessibility doesn't seem to mean anything. Well, you know, that that's a really interesting uh, question. And uh, for me, I try to focus on what's the big picture. And for me, it's equity. Right. So Good word. if we if we focus on um, equity, then everything kind of is in service of that. And uh, that's what I mean by looking at it more in a systemic way, because it's easy to focus on, say, the pedagogy uh, from the perspective of an educator like myself or uh, the, the materials. If you're uh, more of a developer or the devices if you're more of a, somebody who implements uh, technology or integrates technology. But um, really it's when they all come together um, that you kind of get to that sweet spot. And that, and that sweet spot is all about equity and opportunity. So if we were reframing, if we were to reframe it that way, I think we get closer uh, to the goals of things like the UN conventions and the rights of people with disabilities right where yep. this is really about civil and human rights um, um, everything else is just a means to get there well i think you got the ding 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 word of the year equity was that the hold That's on let me hold on wait 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 someone say it again equity <laughs> <laughs> there you go all right ditch accessibility we want equity that's right quality equitable access that's right but you know and i just saw this i mean thinking back to the to the stairs versus ramp conversation we had earlier i mean if you really think about it in in an architectural sense why do we even make stairs anymore? Yeah, that's right. Like, why don't why doesn't every building just have ramps? Because yep. ramps work for everybody. 
stairs only work for a segment. Why even waste time making stairs? Or, or even why do we need the ramp? We could just build a you know uh, an accessible entrance where the, the ramp is not even necessary. Yeah, and I've I've seen a number of buildings like that where um, it's just convenient for everybody. Hmm. Um, I mean, <laughs> if you uh, if you're not careful, even if you are sighted, you can still fall down the stairs. <laughs> so it's not the, <laughs> yeah, that's true. the best solution. <laughs> Very true. That's why in Vegas they just have those people movers. That's right. Because a lot too many people falling down the stairs after a night at the casino, and they don't want that. Well, how many nights do you sit and watch the news and you hear somebody texting walking into traffic? Right. <laughs> but no, it 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 does. It brings up a, an interesting point, and I think that you know it, it could very well be that universal design is is. There's there's some pain there because it, it does require rethinking everything the way that we've done things in the past for a long time, mm -hmm. and that's not necessarily as a society and as a way of thinking it's not necessarily always easy to do. Uh, yeah, and I, and I think um, you know uh, when people think about universal design, they do still think um, in some ways about the retrofits. Yeah. Like they, they think about that building that, you know, had to, was under construction for a couple of weeks while they put in the ramp. <laughs> right, right. Um, but we have a chance now with a lot of um, new buildings for people to see um, universal design as something that is elegant, right? And that um, same thing with websites, right? People think of, um, oh, it's a text-only website. Mm -hmm. No, it doesn't have to be a text-only website. It can be just as beautiful uh, as any other website. It's just a lot of the accessibility is behind the scenes, right? In the coding, right. uh, in the markup. Um, and so um, I think um, that's a big part of it is kind of changing perceptions of, um, you know, accessibility can be, um, can have aesthetic value too. Uh, it can be elegant um, when it's done right. Well, there's another phrase, elegant accessibility. Oh, right. Now you're just getting greedy. <laughs> this is I'm awesome. I'm going to give you the cowbell. Gonna... He just wants more cowbell. Louise, <laughs> Louise, we're having you on the show again in February. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there and there is there there is so much more that we could talk about, uh, you know, if we had a three-hour podcast. I mean, there's the, the, you know, the, the, the onset of the digital assistant. Um, smart homes, I mean, I think is another really great, great merging of something that's that's very appealing on, in a mainstream way yet at the same time has has you know a, some real um concrete at potential oh now that you mentioned that hold on a second okay <laughs> hey, hey google turn off the lights <laughs> Sure, turning three lights off. <laughs> there you go. Yep. So I have um, I have uh, speakers all over my house. So if anybody at Amazon and Google's listening, you got me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they Absolutely. got me too. Yeah, Ryan's because, the same uh, way. I'm I'm using all of them just to try them out, and uh, it's a big help for me with the lights and you know having a visual impairment. Uh, I have mine set up so that they come on when I uh, first get to my development. So when I get into the house, everything is already ready to go for me and I'm ready to work and so on. Um, and, you know, I can see uses for uh, people with motor um, yep. difficulties as yeah. well. Absolutely. Know, 
there are so many devices that have buttons and have knobs and mm -hmm. <laughs> that can be a problem. Well, with a voice assistant, you know, you can get around that. But again, no one device is perfect. That's right. What if you have a speech disability? Yeah. Yes. Um, so um, we always have to sort of consider that, that it, what's important is providing options for how um, people access the information and how they interact with these devices. Universal design conversation really needs to, to continue to grow and to con continue to be had. But it needs to be right. had earlier on in the process in, in a lot of cases. You know, it has to be something that, you know, developers and are, are starting off their process with that in mind. Well, and, and it has to go back to the um, how you become a developer, like as part of your training and education. And uh, that's something that I emphasize as an educator is we need to start when our teachers are still in college. Right. And, um, you know, the, once they go out into the profession, you are in survival mode. <laughs> right. And it gets more and more difficult to sort of be open to new ideas or yeah. new ways of doing things. Because, like I said, you're in survival mode for those first few years. And I'm sure it's the same thing for developers. Um, when you go out there, you have the requirements of the projects that are thrown in front of you. So it, like you said, it has to start early on with uh, the professional development um, of each person um, for it to take hold, like as a integral part of what you do as a professional. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, the other part of the equation, I think, is the community itself. Um, you know, we, we've we've talked to to many developers who have said the same thing, which is, you know, if, if they hear enough noise from a community, uh, they, they take notice. And so, you know, I think it's important for any, you know, anybody with any sort of, uh, um, impairment to be vocal to, you know, if there's a, if there's an app that, that isn't accessible, you know what, contact the makers of that app and tell them that you, you would like their app to be accessible, that there's a demand for it because once companies, and developers see that demand, they're going to respond to that. And I've done Absolutely. that a couple of times and the developers have been more than responsive. You know, they're like, wow, I never thought of that. That's a great idea. Thanks for letting me know. Yep. You know, Absolutely. I would also add, um, just to let them know when they do it right as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure. Absolutely. And, and celebrate, you know, those developers that are doing the right thing because, you know, it, it kind of lifts them up and lets them know that the effort that they put in is appreciated. Um, and hopefully they'll spread the word to other uh, developers, other people that they come into contact with. So um, both highlight where there's need for improvement and a need to do more, but also uh, celebrate uh, the small victories. Excellent, see that, and that's a perfect place to end it. We'll end it on a high note. Yeah. Right. With the word victory. <laughs> victory. Uh, but we should. Uh, we should ask Luis. Is there anything that you you want to plug or do you, you want to you mention um, where can people, people find can you? find you? Any, anything at all? Sure. Um, so you can find me on Twitter. Um, my Twitter handle is at ionaxis. E y e o n a x s, like Sam. So X like xylophone. S like Sam. And then um, I actually now work for the National um, Accessible Educational Materials Center at a cast. Um, today's my first day. 
Oh, well, congratulations. Uh, I will be a technical uh, assistant specialist. Um, and so I encourage everybody to visit our website. It's aem.cast.org. And so if you want to learn about accessibility and, um, you know, every, and everything from early learning to workforce development, uh, the, the AIM Center is uh, really your um, go-to source. Awesome. Luis, thanks so much for, for taking some time and, and chatting with us about universal design. Uh, thank you so much. I really enjoy the conversation. Awesome. And you know what? We'll reach out and, and we'll talk again. We'll, you know, maybe in a couple months and we'll, we'll see where we're at again. Sure. Take care, guys. Okay, thanks, bye. bye. Excellent. Oh, that felt good. That was nice talking and talking a little universal design again. Yeah. Wealth of knowledge. Wealth of information. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It really is a, a fascinating topic. There's so many facets to it, right? Yeah. Like you said, the the digital assistants, the home automation, just buildings. Well, and there's just yeah, you're right. I mean, there there are there's just the you know there's the technology itself, which is it's it's neutral. It's just a technology. It's it's all about what you then use that technology for. Like, what do you what kind of apps are you building? I feel like they're just. People, the communities need to to let developers know that there are demands for for these types of things. Yeah, and I think you know you you sent an article regarding a, um, I guess accessible. I hate that word, but an accessible apartment building for people with disabilities in Calgary. Right. right. Yep. Uh, we've got to get them on the show and just kind of talk to them about what their planning process was and what their motivation was to do something like that. Yeah, because really, I mean, <laughs> every apartment building should yeah, should absolutely. be that. I mean, exactly. it, should, it exactly. shouldn't be in the news. It just should be the standard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How many buildings do you go into where the elevators still just you know, they it, don't talk? There's no braille, and it really is just well, a there's braille on, on any, the buttons. Any yes. new one now? New ones, yes. But but yeah, you're right. You know, unless you're counting dings and you know exactly how many floors there are, mm-hmm. but you know, you're lost. Yeah, how, how the hell do you know which floor to get out on? Yeah. Know? Yeah. Because, you know, some buildings, you know, there's a uh, lobby, then, you know, one, two, three, four. Well, you might think one was two and two right. was three. And yeah, and sometimes, sometimes, the wrong floor. sometimes lobby is ground. Yeah. Yep. You know, like. And God help you if somebody walks on with you, you know, if five people get on and 17 Hit people buttons. press buttons. <laughs> you know. Good luck. And it's like, well, where are we now? Yeah. Yeah, so... Well, I guess we solved all the world's problems today, guy. Maybe no, we, I think maybe, we just, we wait, just threw maybe, more on the pile. No, because the world's biggest problem was a oh, lack of cowbell. There you go. Yeah. I'm just thinking maybe every time there's a lull, we can just cowbell. There you go. Fill the fill the lull with some <laughs> yeah, a little bit of cowbell. <laughs> all right, well, I'm, I'll be we'll be or you know, because it does have such a unique wave sign when uh, when we're recording, we could use it to uh, place mark um, uh, gaffs and things. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so be like, you, Ryan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got to go find Linda's. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now we're all going to arm ourselves with that's cowbells. Right. That's, that's great. Yeah. That's going to be a great podcast. People are going to really tune into that. <laughs> you never know what people will enjoy. <laughs> it's just a bunch of cowbell followed by pronouns. I don't know. <laughs> I don't understand the appeal of this podcast. Wow, at look all. at our followers. It leaped. <laughs> that's right. Turns out people love cowbell. So that's right. Christopher Walken is a big fan. 
Um. All right. Uh, geez, I forgot how to do this. It's been it's been it's been too many weeks between shows. Uh, hey Ryan, Rob, where can people find us? They can find us online at www.atbanter.com. No, yes. What? <laughs> what you were unsure? <laughs> I forgot. Oh, I like, see. I know now. I didn't know whether to give the email you, address or the website. Now just be glad you don't have to navigate the email address like I do. Uh, they can they can also email us if they so desire at. Uh, atbanterpodcast at gmail.com that is correct and we can also be found on Facebook we can be found on Twitter Uh, Snapchat no no Snapchat okay Uh, do you want a Snapchat we can put it on Instagram we are on Instagram yeah we are on Instagram which we're going to start using this year that's my New Year's resolution that I'm just making up right now really yep we're going to we're going to IG it up alrighty we're going to be I-G-A-F. Yeah. If you say so. All right. Plus cowbell? My God. Look I at know. Us. It's Look crazy. At us moving forward. <laughs> uh, hey, Steve. Yeah. Where the heck can people find Canadian Assistive Technologies on the web? Well, Canadian Assistive Technologies is at www.canastech.com. Great. And what do you do over there? Well, we do all kinds of assistive technology uh, for, uh, in particular for low vision and blindness, but not completely limited to it. We also do a lot of stuff for physical disabilities and a little bit of stuff for augmentative communication as well. Excellent. We should also mention our good friend, Mr. Rick Chant, who occasionally calls. Did not put his phone on Do Not Disturb. No, I did actually for an hour. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. But apparently that hour's up. Share it with the class. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Should, anytime someone's phone goes goes off, we should just make them. You have to. Make now you have to, you make, <laughs> you, you have to answer it on the on the show. Well, if you want to talk to Abby, I can. <laughs> Dad, what's for dinner? <laughs> it is dinner time. It is almost dinner time. What was I saying? Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, we should also mention our good friend, Mr. Rick Chant, who joins us on occasion. Uh, he runs a little outfit called Chaos Technical Services, and he services all manner of assistive technologies. So if your CCTV has broken, if you need a power supply for your talking book player, he can certainly help you out. Uh, the URL for him is www.chaostechnicalservices.com, and his phone number is on the website. <laughs> well nice, done. Nicely covered there. <laughs> Thank you. You can also be emailed at uh, chaostech at shaw, S-H-A-W dot C-A. That's it. That is it for the first show of 2018. Thanks, as usual, to all our listeners for listening in. I have been Rob Minot. I'm Steve Barkley. And I'm still Ryan. Ryan who? Ryan Flurry. You sure? I am. Okay. For today. We will see everybody next week. This podcast has been brought to you by Canadian Assistive Technology, providing low vision and blindness solutions across Canada. Find us online at www.canastech.com. That's C-A-N-A-S-S-T-E-C-H.com or call us toll-free at 1-844-795-8324. 
For all your assistive technology servicing needs, call Chaos Technical Services at 778-847-6840 or find them online at chaostechnicalservices.com. Music provided by bensound.com.